Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Friends, my name is Aaron Richards. I'm one of the hosts for today's show, and I'm joined here in studio at the illustrious Damascus Media Studio by my friend and brother in Christ, Brad. Brad, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Aaron. It's good being with you again. How are you doing today? I'm really well. It's beautiful outside. It's hard not to be is, excited in here. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, friends, I'm going to stop apologizing for dating the show. We used to pretend like the show existed in a vacuum. It doesn't. It's <laughs> spring here at Damascus. And uh, it, man, this we couldn't have asked for a more beautiful day today. Uh, right. our, our, our studio is situated with two beautiful windows, one in front of each of our chairs that just looks out over the beautiful Damascus campus here in Centerburg, Ohio. And I will, uh, I'll not lie, I will frequently kind of lose my train of thought while recording the show because <laughs> I start just staring out the window. Yeah. Uh, so if you notice, um, just, uh, yeah, just like shout into the speaker and I'll- Of your vehicle? I'll wake or, up. <laughs> uh, of your in-home studio? There you go. Uh, Brad, why don't you kick us off in prayer? This, yeah, this, let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, we're so grateful- for this day. We're so grateful for the opportunity mm-hmm. to speak about you and to speak about all of the things that you are doing, that you have done, and that you yeah. will do. So we pray that you'd be with us during this time, that you'd be with Aaron and I as we converse back and forth, and that you'd be with all of our listeners as they take in what you want to say here today. Yeah, God, open our hearts today. And I pray that as as we explore sort of a topic that we've, that we've certainly heard before, celebrated before, that um, you will transform us through a message heard in a new way. And Jesus, I pray as we discuss um, the lives of the men and women who've gone before us today, that you'll inspire us by their message. Um, Jesus, teach us more and more who you want us to be, how you want us to live and love and receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, for those of you who are maybe joining the show uh, for the first time today, or for anybody who may forget what I say at the start of every show, <laughs> uh, this is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. This show is carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We're so blessed to have them as uh, partners in this ministry. And... Um, Brad and I, we work here at Damascus. It's a place in Centerburg, Ohio. I work as one of our executive directors, uh, operations and finance and all that fun stuff. And Brad manages our missionary program um, here at Damascus. Uh, This is an amazing campus where we see lives transformed every single day. Like St. Paul, who on his road to Damascus encountered Jesus in a powerful way. Um, The message that we proclaim here is one that uh, encounter can't exist. Encounter with Jesus can't exist apart from a, a, a powerful call to mission in your life. And, uh, and that's the message we preach in, in conferences and retreats and camps that happen here every single week of the year. And we've got 106 grade students on campus right now. We've got a leadership retreat and a um, outdoor school retreat that's happening and it's so fun to have people back on campus. It is, yeah. It's good to see the campus in full swing here in the spring. It's uh-huh. also, just as we come out the other side of this uh, this pandemic that we have just come to see as the normal in our lives, it's fun. Isn't that to, silly? It is, Man, it is. Well, I was actually, I, I was thinking about it. Nina, my wife, and I, we were watching a show just like a week ago, and they had a large gathering in a room that had no masks on. <laughs> 
And I, when I watched it, it like it, I was like taken aback for a second, and then I had to like I don't know chastise myself and go, no, that's normal. Like it's like <laughs> that's normal, and it was just uh, anyway. It's been a uh, it's obviously been a long season for so many of us, yep. but just to be able to see people together yeah. is amazing. So, Amen. Yeah, it's exciting. Amen. Uh, so friends, our, our, our theme for today's show, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I had an opportunity. I was invited to one of our local parishes here in our diocese to discuss um, and reflect on some ideas surrounding the theme of Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in, in doing so, I just, I had a great experience. And, um, you know, I've I've gone through a variety of different processes in my life where I've been invited to speak on a particular topic or teach on a topic, and I don't know it well enough to teach it myself. Yeah. So it's invited me to study and to learn. And as I opened my heart to um, to some of the nuance of the message of divine mercy and and the the individuals associated with the story. Uh, I was I was just really excited, so yeah. I wanted to uh, I, I wanted to take the opportunity today. Brad and I wanted to take the opportunity today to kind of dive into that message, and um, yeah, couldn't be more excited to to share with you. So that's what we're doing today. And w- w- here, as as we're recording this show, we're just a couple weeks out from uh, the celebration of Divine Mercy Sunday here in the year 2021. So. Uh, this is a message that is always, it's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, whenever it is that you're listening to today's show, uh, let's just let our hearts be open um, to, to letting our lives being, being transformed, be transformed. Yeah. I, I, well, it's, uh, it's always in the season of Easter that mercy comes to mind again and again. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's good to be able to reflect on the last weekend of the like octave, right? So you have the octave of Easter, then Divine Mercy Sunday kind of caps it off. And I think for the longest time, I thought to myself, why, why, why end it with this feast day? And yeah. it'll be good to explore that. Today. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Uh, good. So, so that yeah, that's that's what we're diving into. I love I love reflecting on the idea of mercy because um, in a secular sense, uh, I don't know, mercy isn't really a it's not a virtue that's desirable or celebrated. Yeah. And, um, and Jesus really rewrites that story for us. So, um, we're going to, we're going to take a, take a break, but right before we do, I wanted to share a little testimony on, um, a, a, a man who has dramatically impacted my own life and, uh, Dr. Leo Madden, I, I, I wrote Dr. Madden an email this week to tell him that because, uh, I've caught myself sharing testimony about this guy, yeah. like so many times over my ministry life and career. And I don't think I've ever actually stopped to tell him hmm. <laughs> that he had a powerful yeah. impact on my life. <laughs> so, Dr. Madden, if you're listening, I love you. You're amazing. Um, Dr. Madden was my was my my scripture professor in college, and although I suppose I have not had a lot of scripture teachers in my life, um, at least three or four in throughout my my theological studies at Ohio Dominican, um, Dr. Madden was incredibly influential and, uh, and impactful for me in the way that he taught. And uh, part of that was because he, he expected so much of us as students. Um, Dr. Madden is, and I'm sure always was, a very thorough and demanding professor. Um, and uh, m- to be very honest with you, friends, my my temptation was to sort of uh, 
accomplished the bare minimum from time to time when it came to my <laughs> studies in college. And uh, Dr. Madden really pushed me. And I remember some of his scripture classes, uh, you know, you kind of you kind of escape from the expectation that I'm going to skate through this because this is a religion class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that usually, that realization usually happens about the time that the syllabus gets passed out within the first, <laughs> within the first day. And you realize, oh my gosh, there is so much reading associated with this, mm-hmm. uh, with this class that I'm not going to be able to manage. So um, it, this was a class on the New Testament. And, uh, I'm not sure how many courses I had taken with, uh, with this professor or not, but, um, it wasn't my first. And this was a, this was a course on the new Testament. It had been a a rigorous drive through the new Testament. If you've ever tried to sit down and read the new Testament straight through, um, it's, it's, it's thick reading. Uh, and we did, we, we read the entire new Testament. Um, we studied not only read, but studied the entire Mm -hmm. new Testament over the course of this um, this semester. And at the conclusion of the class, after exhaustively studying, um, you know, the, through, through a historical critical tradition, through looking at all of the contextual, you know, symbolism and, and, uh, and context, uh, of, of, the the life and the life and the time and the and the rationale and the history for these writings, um, Doctor Madden gathered all the all the class together. For, this was, I, I believe, it was our final our final class. And as he began to teach, there was a there was a a complete transformation in the experience that he was communicating in the experience that I had as a student, and. Um, he began to tell the story again that we had spent the entire semester hearing, mm-hmm. not the story of not the story of what had transpired, not the story that focused on you know the the little intricacies and conflicts between potential gospel accounts, you know all mm-hmm. that stuff that you can kind of manage as you study and read through. Um, but Dr. Madden began to paint a, a picture of the the men and the women who stood behind the the pen right who stood behind the the, the quill as these stories were were being written and through years decades probably of of rigorous study of these texts what dr madden was revealing was that he had come to experience an intimate relationship of love with the people that had written the stories. Mm. And uh, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced um, in, a, in an educational context anything that convicted me quite like the, the words that came out of his mouth that day as he, as he shared with such passion basically the, the brotherhood and the love that he had for these, these individuals, for the likes of James and John and Paul and Luke, right? And he was talking about them as if they were brothers collaborating side by side and um, uh, and just having this incredible, beautiful, emotional plea um, and reaction. And man, it was, it was so inspiring. Why? Because I, I, it all came into context for me. Um, you know, I, I had a same experience, a similar experience, Brad, when, when we watched the, uh, 
the St. St. Paul, the apostle yeah. movie here on Damascus at Damascus. Uh, if, if you hadn't had the opportunity, check, check out St. Paul, the apostle. I know a lot of our, a lot of our missionaries here are, are constantly giving testimony to, to the, the chosen series right. that just their second season just released. And there's something profound that happens when a story that you've always seen as a story mm-hmm. begins to come alive and you begin to fall in love with the people. Yeah. Yeah. And you fall in love with the authors who wrote the story. And isn't that true of our lives? I, yeah. I, love C.S. Lewis so much. And I, I feel like the more I read him, not just the more I understand him, but the more I see him as the person he was. I never got yeah. the good fortune of meeting him. But to your point, Aaron, there's something about coming to understand the person who is giving the account. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, friends, that's by means of introduction today, um, you've got two assignments. Watch the Chosen series. Watch the uh, watch the St. Paul the Apostle movie. Um, you'll fall in love with Paul. You'll fall in love with all the apostles and Jesus, uh, of course. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. And then go to High Dominican and study <laughs> the New Testament go with Panthers. Dr. Madden. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, the, the reason that we've, that we've jumped down that little, that little testimonial rabbit hole today is because we're going to tell the stories of two amazing saints. Um, one of which has been one of the most impactful men in my own faith formation, having never met him, but having fallen in love with the work that he did and the life that he lived, uh, it's, Saint Pope John Paul II, right? Yeah. He's awesome, and um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about the life of Saint Faustina and her encounter with this with this guy Saint John Paul II to see how they told this story of their own experience of Jesus's divine mercy um, in a way that I I, I think will will inspire and transform. So catch us right after this short break. She was a mystic and reformer who died at the age of 33. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Catherine of Siena accomplished something no one thought possible. She convinced Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome after the popes had lived in France for almost the whole of the 14th century. They've been there ever since. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. can take on many different forms. It could be a simple gaze up to the heavens glorifying God for the beauty of his creation. It could be a cry for help in time of need. It could be a request for some good that you think you need in your life. All these things can be spontaneous and informal. But prayer can also be formal, as in the Our Father, which Jesus taught us to pray, and the highest formal prayer, the sacrifice of the Mass. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Thanks again for joining us today, friends. Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio, carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And like we shared before the break, today we're going to be talking about focusing around the message of divine mercy. And we're going to kick it off by, by not reading a historical account for the sake of learning history, 
although history's sweet. Mm-hmm. Does anybody watch the History Channel? Do you still I, watch? Yeah, I watch it. I used to watch the History Channel. Now I just watch History Channel esque YouTube videos. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's funny because when we're doing like the youth retreats here, and I mentioned that I watch the History Channel, they're all looking at me like, "What?" <laughs> Man, okay, good. Uh, so that that was a sidetrack. Okay, uh, we're not studying history for the sake of history. We're studying. We're studying the the lives of two individuals who have been profoundly impacted and who saw it as their 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 life mission to proclaim and communicate this message. Um, so we're talking about Sister Faustina, Saint Faustina, and Saint Pope John Paul II. Now, in nineteen oh five, the world was going through some interesting situations, mm-hmm. right? That's for sure. Uh, prepping for the you know living in the midst of um, preparation for World War One. Uh, there was a young woman named Helena who was born in Poland. And if you know anything about European history in the midst of world wars, Poland was never a very nice place to be, right? That's right. Not a very safe environment. Um, and as this massive upheaval is happening, um, little Helena is seven years old. Now, I have a seven-year-old daughter. And um, a seven-year-old daughter who loves to pursue the heart of Jesus. And Helena, at seven years old, um, coming from an incredibly impoverished family, experienced a call to religious life. And um, I don't know if you've ever had anyone that you've known who's experienced a profound vocational call in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as is probably the case in, uh, in many of their experience, um, Helena did not immediately respond to that call. And uh, her focus was on the, the the practical, immediate needs of her family primarily, right? At 16 years old, she left home. Why? Not to enter the convent, but because her family needed cash. And she left home to take on the life of a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And it was at 16, around about 16, that she had this profound experience, encounter with Jesus. And um, this kind of sets us up for a theme that plays plays out in her life, and why is it important? Because man, this is a theme uh, that that we just we need to be ready to receive. Mm-hmm. So she was at a party, um, she was dancing with other human friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at sixteen years old, and on the dance floor at the party, she has a vision of Jesus. And what's funny is. Uh, Jesus did not appear to her in, you know, normal attire. He appeared to her in the middle of this dance, uh, crucified and scourged and, um, and covered in blood. And, uh, and he asked her a question. He asked, uh, Helena, how, how long must I wait for you? Hmm. And, um, it was probably, that was probably the, the end of party time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Probably the end of the prom. Yeah. <laughs> time to go uh, home. And, and it was, it was there, uh, it was there that, that Helena began to have the opportunity to begin to ask herself these yeah. questions. Yeah. And I, I think what's so touching about Jesus's revelation there is that he, he's always waiting for us in some way, shape or form. Right. And he's always waiting for us with open arms. And I, I, I love Pope Francis, I know we're speaking yeah. about Pope John Paul II here, but Pope Francis, his heart echoes John Paul II sometimes in such profound ways. In Evangelium, he says that it's, it's every time that we take a step, let me, let me try to like paraphrase, ultimately the idea is that whenever we take a step towards Jesus, we recognize that 
he's already there waiting for us with open arms. Mm. And I, I think that like sometimes we can believe ourselves to be outside of the um, grasp of Jesus when we're doing the normal things of life. Like, I don't know, being at a dance, for example, or whatever it might be. But Jesus is always there. And what's even more profound is that he's beckoning her higher. And I think that is even more fascinating to reflect on in our own lives, that he's not only there, but he's always beckoning us higher. Like when he was saying that to her, he wasn't saying you shouldn't be dancing. Like he wasn't saying you shouldn't be living your (laughs) life. He was saying, I'm waiting for you and I have something more for you than you're even experiencing here. That's a different presentation, you know? And I, I don't know that that is so profound for me and reflecting on how that's true in my life. When Jesus shows up, maybe not in the same image that he's displaying here with Helena, but when he shows up and he beckons me higher. Yeah. So, uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Brad. The the theme that I I think I want to draw from that is, um, that she was reacting to, to a, a place that I would describe as uncertainty and insecurity. Hmm. And, um, from seven to sixteen, all the way to nineteen, when she when she finally entered um, the entered the convent, I think that was that was probably the internal struggle that was happening. Sure. And um, the reason we introed the show the way that we did is because I think it's precisely from a place of uncertainty and insecurity that this message of divine mercy began to take root in her. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Helena enters the convent, and it's there that she takes this name Faustina, and. Uh, her first years in the convent um, were uh, they they were rather inconsequential, right? Mm-hmm. So so she she was there. There's there's no real recorded history of her. All of her interior life that she was bringing to the Lord, there was this amazing thing that was happening between her and Jesus. What do we hear of others who described her? We only have <laughs> we have one we have one statement about the experience of those early years of Faustina in the convent, one of her superiors wrote uh, three descriptive words about her. Uh, They said that Faustina is no one special, right? Mm. That she's, she's merely, merely there. And yet Mm. it, it was to this, it was to this young woman, no one special. Yeah. That God ultimately entrusted this this message that St. John Paul II would go on to describe as the single most important message for our time until the end of time. Right. Yeah. Okay. P- pretty radical statement. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful. And uh and and why? Because she because she she was she was responding to God's call from this place of intimate uncertainty and insecurity, right? And uh, certainly, I guess to, to fast forward, um, her message was the, the message of divine mercy that Faustina uh, communicated to the world, that Jesus communicated to her, that she communicated to the world. This became especially pertinent for us in, in the midst of the Second World War, right? I, I believe that, like St. John Paul says here, that this message for us is, is all the more important now than it was on the day it was delivered. Yeah. Right. Um, those words, uncertainty and insecurity. If you've been living in the world in the year 2020 and 2021, um, and I would venture to guess if you're listening to this show five years from now, the world has not settled down into a place of, uh, of, of calm and peace and security and comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is par for the course these days, you know, 
why did this ultimately become one of the most passionate messages on St. John Paul II's life? Why? Because he had a, a prophetic insight into the reality that the world is on a course of self-inflicted self-destruction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Remember those, those fancy, beautiful, affirming words that he talked about? the culture of the United States of America, the culture of death, that in the midst of that, what's our reaction? Are, are, are we supposed to, are we supposed to fall into, you know, disappointment and discouragement and depravity? No, but these words serve for us as an invitation. Yeah. An invitation to hope. An invitation to hope, an invitation to, to joy, to faith, mm-hmm. to peace. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess that's the offer. That's the offer that we receive. Yeah. So, so Faustina, um, her life was marked by hearing the call of Jesus and being initially hesitant to respond because of her circumstance. And then once she said yes, uh, experiencing a revelation that, that would, would go on to transform the world. Yeah. And two big revelations just from Helena becoming Faustina, right? If, you're out there and you're listening to this and you're anything like me, you probably have failed to respond adequately to everything God has asked of you, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think sometimes we're looking for the opportunity to give a perfect response instead of just making the best response we have in a moment. That like God doesn't need us to make a perfect response every moment. He needs us to be faithful in making responses that he will guide into the perfect response. Even if we're no one special, you know? And I, I think... The other thing I, I get out of her story every time I hear it is as Helena's becoming Faustina, she's not afraid of humble beginnings. Yeah. And, and we can be. We can be. I, I know this to be true of myself. There's times when someone invites me to go pick up a hobby with them, and I've never done it before. And I'm hesitant to go because I'm I'm hesitant to step into a humble beginning that like this person's mm-hmm. been doing this, you know, like uh, this person's an excellent racquetball player and I've only played once in my life and I'm not exactly enthused by the idea of a humble beginning. But the yeah. reality is every single beginning we have is humble. And and if we don't step into that humble beginning, we can never get to a place where we want to go. And so every single time I hear her transitional story before she gets this amazing revelation that we all know her for, yeah. she was a woman who was receiving a call from the Lord that she hesitated upon respond like uh, upon hearing to respond to eventually responded to a little less than haphazardly right like um but responds to and grows in and sees opportunity in as she steps through humble beginnings yeah. into her destiny and and that's just that's the story of the no one special. That's yeah. the story of me and you and all of us that we're being called by the Lord. We're being beckoned to something higher. Invited, yeah. We're we're hesitant at times. And the reason that we're hesitant at times is because we're nervous that when we step into that humble beginning, that something might not be on the other side for us. Yeah. And Faustina is an example that every single time we step into a humble beginning, yeah. there is something on the Amen. other side for us. Amen. And, uh, and, and this, yeah. So how's our story end? Well, and again, we, we, uh, the, as I, as I said before the break, it's, it's less about knowing all the detail and more about knowing the heart. And, um, I, I want to just invite us to have our hearts be open to being moved by the story of a young woman who, uh, who was, 
who was afraid and uncertain and insecure and then said yes and then was used by God to accomplish an amazing transformation in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, Lord, the Lord spoke to Faustina and, and he, he revealed uh, this amazing and transformative message. And we'll speak about the message that he, that he revealed mm-hmm. a little later in the show. But uh, w- what happens, she simply records it in her diary, right? She receives from the Lord um, these, these profound and beautiful words and ultimately this profoundly beautiful image of, of the Lord Jesus standing with his heart exposed and with the rays of, of divine mercy extending from his heart and the words at the bottom of the page, Jesus, I trust in you. And, uh, and through a long turn of events, like she was invited, right, to, to have this image, um, to have a, a painting commissioned of this image. And ultimately, uh, that's that's what we know and love as as the as the divine mercy image, as the the prayers that would become the divine mercy chaplet, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that message that 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 began to spread like wildfire in in a time in the world where the world was in in absolutely desperate need, mm-hmm. right? Saint Faustina died in 1938, and right as as the gears of World War II start turning, right? Yeah. And um, in the midst of this, this worldwide experience of incredible um, suffering and challenge, especially in her homeland of, of, of Poland, right? That, uh, that there's this message of, Jesus, I trust in you, right? And it, and it began to spread throughout the entire, the entire world. Yeah, and I, lo- I love the concept of trust especially in regards to an exposed heart, right? That mm. we, we can trust Jesus because he exposed his heart to us, right? And I, I think uh, when I think about the relationships I have in my life, I often, I often think to myself, like, is this person in a place to trust me? Because have I been able to like show them my heart enough for them to know I'm in it for their good? And I, I just see that unfolding with Faustina as she's writing these things. Could you imagine like Jesus is slowly but surely exposing his heart to her that Mm. culminates in this image. It wasn't like this image was the first time his heart was exposed to her. He was simply giving her an image for what he was already doing. And I, I have found that to be so true in my life that my trust for Jesus increases when I recognize the ways he's been exposing his heart to me. And I see that in my marriage as well, right? The more I expose my heart to Nina, the more she's able to trust me, Mm. the more that she exposes her heart to me, the more I'm able to trust her. And so that image that we've all come to know is the image of divine mercy. When we look at that image, instead of just like, you know, seeing it for how aesthetically beautiful it is and then reading those beautifully scripted words at the bottom, Jesus, I trust in you, recognizing that that's an image of what he's doing all of the time for us. He's, he's exposing, he's revealing his heart to us. And that's what allows us to speak from within those words that we see at the bottom. Amen. Yeah. Um, if that, yes, that's, that's, I've never even had that personal reflection before. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. This is coming more alive as we're mm-hmm. speaking it on the radio. Um, what happens as this message begins to spread? Well, people begin to nervous. That's usually what happens in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in, in right fashion, right, this, sure. uh, this message was called back to Rome 
ultimately to be challenged so that it could be verified as mm-hmm. to its authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, I, 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 there's probably many of you who have heard this before, but I'll, I'll bear boring you because I think it's such a, a, a cool little part of the story. One of the words that Jesus would have revealed to Faustina, had revealed to Faustina, um, was this statement, there will come a time when this message will seem to be completely undone, but then God will act with power and his message will bring will 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 be a new light to the church, mm. and uh, that happened right. <laughs> so the, um, ultimately, as bishops were hearing this message of divine mercy, we're we're seeing people kind of communicate the transcripts of the journal and what Jesus mm-hmm. had spoken. Mm-hmm. Um, they collected some of this material and sent it to Rome for investigation, and ultimately, uh, the information was investigated and upon finding um regrettably some errors in the way that it was translated and yeah. um yeah. and how it was being communicated uh they actually they banned the message of divine mercy mm-hmm. in the church yeah. that was a sad day i'm sure yeah and um and in the midst of that so there's this experience where the people who who'd whose lives had been transformed through having heard this message, yeah. they, they began to petition the church um, to, to seek clarity and to find clarity here. And this is, of course, uh, where the story kind of shifts gears to the other guy we're going to talk about today. So Rome took the time, they investigated, and there was one bishop who took it upon himself to actually gather all of the material in the original language to correct any of the errors in translation that may have existed. He saw it as his own personal private assignment to actually communicate this message in a way that it could be understood. And he submitted all this information to Rome. They investigated it. They approved it. They lifted the ban. And then six months later, they elected that bishop, Pope John Paul II. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. and I, that's that's so good. <laughs> I, I think like, well, what I find, I, I don't know, it's more than ironic, but that's the best word I have is like, there's divine mercy for the people in the church who didn't allow the message to be spread, right? Like, like they were trying <laughs> to act in a prudent way. Like yeah. sometimes, I don't know, we all get into our like, I'm on this side of this issue and you're on that side or whatever it might be. And what what divine mercy does is it unifies everyone, right? Like Paul so famously in his epistles says that he who has transgressed one has transgressed them all when it comes to sin, right? Like, yep. And we're all in that boat. So we're all in that boat, Mary and Jesus aside, of course, but like we're all in that boat. And I just, I love that part of the story because you, you hear like an act that nowadays it's like, wait, why in the world would you keep that from being spread? I mean, similar to like Padre Pio, right? Like he had to stop hearing confessions for a while and it's yep. like, wait, why? Yep. Right now we look back. But the thing is in that moment, I'm sure the church in its beauty, majesty, its hierarchy, its ways was like, we're trying to be prudent here. We're not exactly sure what's happening, but then there's mercy to fill that of like, actually, mercy it provides the bridge to get us over the gap to where we can then say actually no that that wasn't a prudent decision that was a fearful decision mm-hmm. and now we're able to step forward and allow this beautiful teaching to be spread and yeah. just to hear that 
of course, that John Paul II was at the forefront of that should not surprise of course, us of as course. one of the, I mean, one of the greatest saints of all time, certainly in our lifetimes. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> uh-huh. So from the beginning of his pontificate, John Paul II had this in mind. And um, in, in one of his first visits to the Shrine of Divine Mercy in Italy, he says, from the beginning of my ministry in St. Peter's See in Rome, I considered this message of divine mercy my special task, that providence has assigned it to me in the present situation of man, that, that it's almost as if the present situation assigned this message of mercy to me as my task before God. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, th- th- those words really stuck out to me because I'm not sure if you've ever experienced, I, know, I mean, Brad, I know you have. Um, this, is, yeah. this is one of the things we talk about here, but for our listeners, you know, um, to, to experience a call that you've discerned on your life that you would describe as like the, the, the task that God has assigned you mm-hmm. to accomplish for the good of his church. And, um, and that, that was the, that was the passion with which, with which John Paul II, um, would go on to describe every experience that he had with this work of divine mercy. Yeah. With how significant it was. Yeah. And I look at, I look at John, I mean, John Paul II, he accomplished a heck of a lot of sweet things in his life, (laughs) right? Like, like the contributions he made to the, the decline of communism Mm -hmm. in Europe. That was pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, writing the theology of the body, one of my favorite things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, amongst all of the other amazing, amazing works that, that he did to the, to the church, um, to seeing, you know, the call to the new evangelization. But yet it was this, that, that he would consider his, his, his primary, his primary task, his primary assignment. And it was, um, I mean, how many years later, it, it was at the Jubilee year 2000, when at the canonization of, of St. Faustina, John Paul again affirmed this statement at the conclusion of, of kind of the day, he, he indicated today is the happiest day of my life. Hmm. Today is the happiest day of my life. That was, it was at this celebration that he identified that the second Sunday of Easter would be henceforth known as divine mercy Sunday. Right. And, um, I, I just wanted to identify and, and, and call that out in us that, great joy, maybe the greatest joy in us um, can be experienced when we are responding to the call that God's placed in our lives. Yes. Yeah. When we hear the call and respond accordingly. Like this, that's the idea of, of encounter meets mission. Um, one of the, one of the missionary mindsets we, we, we live out here at Damascus is the experience of, of a joy filled life. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a joy-filled life happens not always when we feel like we are, remember, secure and yeah. uh, and confident and safe. You know, th- those those thematic words of uncertainty and insecurity that we spoke about earlier. Um, you know, Saint John Paul II navigated the church probably through one of the most uncertain and insecure times in the history of the world. Yes. The 20th century. <laughs> and in the midst of that, experiences great joy when he witnesses hmm. to us hearing and responding like St. Faustina to the call of God on his life. Yeah. The 20th century was marked by John Paul II's papacy. And he 
finds joy in responding to his call, even amidst that time. I think that that's just like a quick reflection for us, right? Like this time there, there are heavy things in this time, right? But God is still calling. And amidst that call, there can still be joy. I, I am amazed by the fact that John Paul II was able to stay rooted to these teachings, of course, divine mercy at the highest of them through the most egregious times in modern memory. And it's, it's spectacular, but to your point, Aaron, that joy is maintained through staying yoked to the call, regardless of what surrounds it. Yeah. Well, and as we, as we pull our, our, this second segment to a close, um, I want to ask that question, you know, why, why was he able to stay committed here? Why was he able to stay rooted here? Um, I think it's because a guy like John Paul II, I think it's because uh, a young woman like Helena, like, like Faustina, they, they, they demonstrate something to us that we see in, in the life of the early church. They demonstrate something to us that we see uh, constantly, again and again, demonstrated in the lives of saints. Something that I see here at Damascus, that, that, that human beings can accomplish extraordinary things when they exist outside of the limitations of what we'd usually hold ourselves to. And I think it's almost like there's some access to some knowledge that the rest of the world's missing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's not so much access to some knowledge. It's access to a, it's access to a person. Right. Right. That why was John Paul II able to do this? Well, it's because it's because he knew Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. Why, why was St. Faustina able to able to respond in the way that she did heroically and simply, why? It's, it's, because, it's because of the, the passionate knowledge and intimate knowledge and relationship that she had with Jesus. We look at the lives of the apostles. How were they able to do the things that they did? Why were they able to stand up amidst persecution? How the heck is it that, 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 that 11 of the 12, right, were able to, were able to suffer martyrs' deaths? Mm-hmm. It's because they knew Jesus. Yeah, because they remained in him. I, I was just thinking as you were speaking that of— the gospel of John chapter 15. So John 15, the vine and the branches, yeah. right? Where Jesus says, remain in me or abide in me. And he goes through that lovely chapter that we read in, in John, but he culminates that with, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you yeah. and your joy may be complete. So why is he telling us to remain in him, to abide in him, that his joy could be in us, right? That Joy is the fruit of intimacy with Jesus, right? And so when we're close to the Lord, you know, sometimes I think we think call is something that like moves us on, but a call is rather something that moves us closer. Like Jesus, the call for us, Jesus doesn't like push us from behind into our call. Jesus sits on the other side of the path that is our call and beckons us. Like I've been saying, like he calls us like it's not like he wants to get behind us and push us down a path to some great achievement in the world. Yeah. It's that he wants to stand at the end of that path and beckon us down it. That yep. the adventure of the path is all in pursuit of him. And, Amen. and to the point that you're making with mercy, like to remain in God requires us to understand his mercy. Because we can often think that our hesitancy to responding to a call like Helena somehow keeps us out of the good grace of God. Yeah. But that hesitancy needs to be set aside by understanding mercy, that he is always, always, always there 
calling us forward. I think about, and you would know this better than I, Aaron, but as Nina and I talk about starting a family, I, I think about when, when, I don't know, your first little one, it's probably all of the little ones, but begin taking those first steps, mm. you know? And I may have said this in some way, shape or form on this podcast before, but I, I'm always drawn to think that like when that little one takes the first step, I'm not going to come to Damascus the next day and say, Hey, my little one fell 3000 times over the last <laughs> three months. Like, you know, like I, I'm not going to count the number of times I'm going to say that little one took a step yesterday. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm going to be overjoyed. Yeah. And if I can recognize that as a human being, yeah, how much more does Jesus, does Holy Spirit, does Father celebrate each step we take? Yeah, mercy covers the falls. Yeah, they celebrate the steps. Amen. You know, that's a good word. Well, that's a good word to end the segment on. I think <laughs> mercy, mercy celebrates the falls, um, or mer- mercy covers mercy the covers falls. the falls yeah. and celebrates the steps. That's that's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they they knew Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And when you know Jesus, you know mercy. Um, well, we'll the, in our in our next segment, when we come back after the break, we're gonna we're gonna kind of reflect on that message of what is what do we mean when we talk about mercy? What do we mean when we talk about divine mercy? But like I say, in knowing Jesus, we know mercy. How? Well, Jesus Himself, one of His revealed messages to Faustina was, "I am love and mercy itself," right? I am love right. and mercy itself. When we know Jesus, we know love. When we know Jesus, we know mercy. So friends, join us right after this break. This is Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. When we know Jesus, we know mercy. When we know love, we know mercy. When we know mercy, we experience our call. We experience our call to mission. Okay, we'll be right back after this short break. Unplanned, the true story of Abby Johnson. I would be the youngest director in Planned Parenthood history. She believed in a woman's right to choose. I've had an abortion myself, so I don't have any problem with another woman making the same decision. Until the day she saw something that changed everything. Tiny, perfect little baby. And then it was just gone. Now she's pulling back the curtain on the abortion industry. Unplanned. Available at EWTNRC.com and the EWTN app. Now, not only can you watch EWTN anywhere, but anytime with EWTN On Demand. Get on-demand access to more than 12,000 EWTN programs, including live shows and specials, all in one place, all free. Just go to EWTN.com forward slash on demand. There's nothing to fill out, no memberships required, and no fees to pay. All you need is an internet connection, and you're good to go. EWTN On Demand. Fast, easy, and free. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. And thanks for joining us for this uh, non-Divine Mercy Sunday, Divine Mercy special. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're talking about the, the lives of St. Faustina and St. John Paul II, how their own experience, it, it, it mirrored the message that God was calling them to communicate, right? The mission was built on the missionary. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the missionary can't be divided from the mission. When you encounter Jesus, it, it, it is a call to mission. Mm-hmm. And both Faustina and, and John Paul II, man, as we fall more in love with this mission, we fall more in love with the missionaries who, who, who carried it on their shoulders, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we just, we, we concluded the last segment. If you, if you didn't, if you haven't caught the show up, up to this point, check it on the rerun on your, on your podcast app under Beyond Damascus. But 
Um, kind of that final reflection we were making is that to know Jesus is to know mercy. Why? Because Jesus is love and mercy itself. I want to I want to just reflect a little bit about what we mean when we say mercy. Right? This is this is sort of the I don't know. This is where the rubber meets the road. Right? We've talked about how the message was given. Um, let's let's talk about what the message was. And as we as we close today's um, as we close today's show in these next seven minutes or so, we'll uh, I I, I want to I hope that this will create in you a hunger um, that we could invite the Lord Jesus to come and Jesus do in me what what it is you said you would mm-hmm. here in in these words right mercy is a mercy is a special type of love um, that is often described as uh, where perfect love meets the poverty of weakness and sin and suffering. Uh, you know, ra- raise your hand if you exist in the poverty of weakness, sin, and suffering. W- w- this is, mercy is the love that you need, right? And, and, and more specifically, and let these words sink in. Mercy is precisely the love that you don't deserve, mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's when we deserve love the least that we are given mercy the most. And I, I hope that for you today, as you hear that, that can be um, a word of hope for you, right? That when our strength is gone, it's then specifically that mercy is given to us, Right? It's when we deserve it the least that we need it the most and when God desires to give it the most. Mm -hmm. And because of this, like when Jesus says, I am love and I am mercy itself, the way that Jesus orients his heart toward us is in such a way that this is the type of love that he most desires to give, Mm -hmm. right? We think oftentimes that... um, that that beauty and performance and strength and security, like those are the things that are going to bring me into a place where I can exist in my in my well-defined schedule in right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. But what does Jesus tell us in Scripture? No, time and time again, he says that it is it is the sick for whom the physician came, right? Yeah. That heaven yep. rejoices when, when the one lost sheep comes back. Um, certainly heaven's already rejoiced at the 99 who never left, mm-hmm. but it's that one, it's that one that Jesus goes back for. And uh, it, is, it is our sin that attracts mercy, that attracts Jesus to us, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus... Jesus and and remember Jesus chose to 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 reveal this message to to who to no one special to no one special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I was I'm just reflecting on what you were saying about poverty, weakness, sin and suffering. It, it's the love that meets that, you know? And yeah. I I've long thought that mercy is the solution to everything we're experiencing in the world today. You know, we look at the world and we see disunity. We look in the world and we see schism. We see difference. We see all of these things. And mercy is the one thing that ties us all together. Like if you're listening today, have there been times in your life where either internally or externally, you've been impoverished where you've experienced poverty, poverty of heart, poverty of resources, whatever it, have you experienced weakness before? Have you ever sinned before? 
have you suffered in some way, shape, or form? Yes, probably <laughs> to all four, right? Probably think, to all so. four. Like it's, so. it's a unifying human experience. Yeah. And so often in those experiences, we have the tendency to say that that is because someone else inflicted that experience upon me. But mm. when I see the heart of mercy that God has for me, I can carry that mercy to the other. That yeah. we're all, we're, we're all, like it's what Paul said, like we, he who has transgressed one has transgressed them all. So I have sinned, and therefore I've transgressed the greatest love there is in the deepest way mm. I could just by saying no that once. And by understanding my need for mercy there, I'm then able to go to him, receive that mercy, and then be that mercy for anyone who transgresses against me. Forgive us our trespasses yes. as we forgive those who trespass against us. We forget these words all the time, but I'm literally saying, God, forgive me insofar as I forgive the person who's afflicting me right now. Yeah. Also known as condemn me <laughs> if I am condemning those around me. And so I think mercy can just be such a unifier mm. for us that it is... If it is true that all of us, that all of us have experienced one of these four things, which is the universal human experience, poverty, weakness, yeah. sin, or suffering, either against us or out of us, right? Yeah. Like we're in need of mercy. And in being in need of mercy, we can begin seeing the need others have for mercy. Amen. And we can be that mercy for them. And this is and and this is exactly why. Uh, why John Paul II saw this as the most important message for our time. Yes. Right? That, uh, remember those, those, those beautiful words from Romans chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Right. And, uh, and, and we recall that experience that Jesus himself comes in this day to remind us that in, in this time of unprecedented need, these are, these are the words that St. John Paul would use to describe our common experience, that he's giving us access to an unprecedented grace. Right. And then isn't it funny in the Gospels, Jesus says that we need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But one of the other translations that you'll find in one of the other synoptic Gospels, I, I forget which one right now, but in one it says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. In the other it says, be merciful mm. as your heavenly father is merciful, that the key to perfection on this side of eternity is the full embracing of mercy. Amen. Amen. That is so good. Friends, thank you for joining us for today's show. Uh, we could go on and on. We haven't even talked about like the sacraments. We haven't talked about the amazing conclusion <laughs> right. to the image of mercy, but um, I, I hope that we've, that we've incited a hunger that you can do that on your own. Friends, join us again next time here on Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Check out this show on the reruns on the podcast. God bless. We'll see you next week.